Luke 24, as we're making our way through the Gospel of Luke, remember we've been talking a lot about the coming to faith stories that we have here as Luke winds down his Gospel. Remember, he's, he's winding it down on purpose. He would be writing this on a scroll, and a scroll would have a certain amount of space in it, and as Luke now is coming to the end of that scroll, he needs to, he needs to, he needs to wrap things up, and he's doing that, and he's doing it in the most wonderful way. Because he's writing, remember, he's writing because he wants his friend Theophilus, uh, possibly a, 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 a Roman official living in Rome, um, to come to faith in Christ. He says, I'm writing these things that you might come to certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Theophilus had some knowledge of Jesus. He, uh, he had maybe even been taught by Paul, some think Theophilus was Paul's lawyer as Paul was in prison and on trial in Rome. Uh, but whatever, Theophilus has been taught, but he doesn't have the certainty of faith. He doesn't really see Jesus yet. And so Paul, uh, Paul, so Luke is writing so that Theophilus can see Jesus. The question is, how does that happen? And, and this story, as Luke is now coming to the end of his gospel account, really summarizes and, and pulls all the pieces together. He's told us about Jesus. He's written about all that he did, all that he, that he said. And now he's going to talk to us about how do we see him? How do we really see him? Let's give our attention to Luke 24. If you notice, uh, we're going to begin at verse 13. The first 12 verses are the story of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus had been crucified, and now three days later, it's, uh, it's Sunday morning. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And our text picks up Sunday uh, somewhere during the day, maybe the afternoon seems most likely. And he meets these men, or these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let's pick it up, verse 13. Let's give our attention to God's word. Now that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other and all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, that is Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told, them, uh, told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father in heaven, we want to see Jesus today, and we thank you that you've given us, Lord, all that we need. You've given us your word. Uh, You've given us the spirit. And so now we pray that you'd give us faith. Give us eyes to see, to hear, to know Christ, the risen Christ, uh, so that, Lord, we could commune with him and, and be filled with joy and peace and life in him. Give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have an outline to uh, help you follow along this morning, but I encourage you as, uh, uh, as you listen, just let this story that God has given to us here um, sort of draw you in, because what we have here is uh, an example of the life-transforming experience of seeing the risen Christ with the eyes of faith and through the lens of Scripture. Uh, that's the key thing that Luke is showing us, the life-transforming experience of seeing the risen Christ with the eyes of faith and through the lens of Scripture. It's a magnificent story, one of the more enjoyable stories. They're all enjoyable as you study them, but I just love this story. Um, As you see people in confusion and sadness, despair, hopeless, and in the course of a few hours, a a seven-mile Bible study... Uh, Their life is completely turned around. This is the the Damascus Road experience for these two disciples. Here they meet, for the first time, the living Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And it changes everything. Maybe you could use an experience like that today. Maybe you are walking along the road of your life and it's hard and it's painful and you're, you're sad. Maybe you're standing still, trying to pick up the pieces or just not sure how to move forward. And maybe um, today the Lord has brought you here just very specifically so that you could have your eyes fixed on him again. And maybe, it, maybe it's for the first time. Maybe you've never really seen Jesus. You've, you know about church and religion. Maybe even you know about Christianity. But it's, you're not sure you've really seen Jesus in a way that you know him and love him. In a, in a way that's changing your life. Or, or um, maybe you once had that, but life got busy and heartaches came and... Um, And you're here this morning just sort of dead in your heart, sad in your heart. 
But the wonderful news is that Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus Christ does come and he comes to you today. He comes to me today and he comes with exactly the same purpose that he came to these people here. He meets us on the road and he's able to make us, give us eyes to see, to really see and really know and believe and be changed. And the primary purpose of the story is to show us how that happens because we tend to assume that the, the best way to really know Jesus would have been to live, to be alive when Jesus was here on earth. I mean, if, if you could just pick the best way to know him, wouldn't it be that you could be one of the disciples and you could walk around? You could see the miracles with your own eyes. You could hear the sermons that Jesus preaches. You, you could really know him by sense and sight and experience. And so I think we tend to assume that we're at a bit of a disadvantage I mean, it's been so long ago, 2,000 years ago, these things happened, and a long way away in a different culture. And faith seems like a poor substitute for sight and experience. We're just kind of, we're asked to believe these things. And, and so it feels, to be, it feels to us to be a disadvantage. And, and I've heard people say, you know, if God really wants me to believe in him, all he needs to do is show up. He, if he's God, certainly he would be able to do that. If he wants me to believe in him, just show up and show himself to me. But you see, what we don't realize is that eyesight is an inadequate means of perception. Jesus did show up. He walked all over Israel and Galilee for three years. And yet the people who saw Jesus, the vast majority of them, never realized what they were seeing. Their sight and their experience of Jesus was not adequate to give them the truth about Jesus. It didn't, it didn't break in. It didn't, it didn't make sense. So the point of this story is Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus who might be thinking the same thing. You know, Luke, this would be a whole lot easier if, if I could have just seen Jesus. And Luke's point is, well, it's just not true. The only reliable way to see and know Jesus is to see him with the eyes of faith as he's revealed in Scripture, his word. He's told us who he is. And the most reliable way then is to go to where Jesus has told us who he is and with the eyes of faith, believe what he says. That's exactly what he does here in the story. This is how people come to really see and know Jesus. And, and I hope that this morning, that, that, that's your heart's desire. I hope that your heart's desire is to see and know Jesus. Can you imagine the difference it would make in your life? And maybe it is making in your life as you're growing in your faith. But, but I'm just more and more convinced that, that the cure for whatever ails you is seeing Jesus. Can you imagine how the, uh, your selfishness can be expelled when you really see the selfless love of Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and now calls you to live for something so much more glorious than you, than yourself. He calls you to live for the glory of God. 
and promises you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can do that as you trust in Jesus Christ. Not living a perfect life, but living a life where you love Jesus and you humbly confess your need of Jesus and you're beginning to love people because God has loved you. This makes all the difference. So every child of God who, who has got a taste of this, right? We, we say with that publican we read about in the Gospels, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to see. Well, the question is how, and that is the question that Luke answers. Let's just look at the story, first noticing the blindness of these two disciples. I've always assumed these were two men. Uh, that's maybe just my... My bigotry, chauvinism, whatever it might be. The text doesn't say two men. It says two of them. Uh, and it very well might have been a husband and a wife. Uh, if Cleopas, we know, is the name of one of them. Scholars think this very well might be uh, the man called Clopas in John 19.25. Uh, so this, it could be then this would be Clopas and his wife Mary. They're uh, loosely related to Jesus. Um, but these two disciples, whoever they might have been, they're, they're walking towards Emmaus. Most likely it's where they live, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. They have, they're, they're talking about all these things that had happened. It had been an astounding, heartbreaking, soul-crushing week. Astonishing. Seven days ago, if you remember... Jesus was going into Jerusalem, and the crowds were singing and dancing. The, uh, the, the, the song was going up, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds were exuberant. And to the disciples of Jesus, it, it felt like finally, people are finally waking up. They finally get it. Jesus is the Son of David. He is the Messianic King. This is the one who's going to come and get rid of Roman rule. This is the one who's going to come and set Israel free and make Israel once again the greatest nation on the earth, right? This is the ultimate make Israel great again campaign. That's what Jesus was about in their minds, and the people were getting it. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders saw the people were getting it, and they said, if this continues, we're going to lose the whole thing. And so they crucified him. I mean, in a matter of hours, the whole thing collapses. Thursday night, they're having supper with Jesus, the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking about suffering and dying, and they don't really understand what he's talking about. Um, it's been a big week. Maybe he's a little down. By Friday, 3 o'clock, he's dead and buried. And it's, it's over. It's completely, absolutely over. And you cannot possibly make sense of it. And that's what they're talking about. And suddenly there's a stranger comes up kind of alongside and says, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? And they stood still looking sad. You know, if, if they'd have been just having a chipper conversation about the, the weather or about uh, a hobby, whatever, you know, a stranger would come along and, what are you guys talking about? Well, we're just talking about such and such, and they keep walking. But not this. This just stops them in their tracks. The weight of it, the burden of their grief has just brought them to a halt. And again, maybe, maybe that's where some of you are this morning. The weight of life 
uh, just the burden of it all and not knowing and, and not understanding what God is doing, how this works, what it's about. And, and so you're standing still and looking sad. And out of that, there can, always, there can easily be um, annoyance. And, and there's a bit of, of uh, annoyed incredulity in Cleopas' response. Are you the only man in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? This would be like a New Yorker who's just devastated on September 12, 2001 as, as this awful, awful thing has happened and, and a stranger comes up and says, what's, what's going on? How come people look so down and, and all the businesses are closed? I mean, I came here to shop today. And you'd look at this person like, I mean, what planet are you from? How did you get here? Are you the only person in the entire city of New York, in the entire country, maybe the entire world, who doesn't know what happened here yesterday? That's Cleopas. I mean, how, he looks at this guy and says, how can you be so ignorant about these things that have happened? I mean, the irony is incredible. Uh, Cleopas, right, unknown to him, but nonetheless, is rebuking Jesus for his ignorance about the things that have happened to Jesus. That's what he's doing. If anybody knows what's happened in these last days, right, it would be Jesus. But notice the, the, the irony here as well, that he, as he grieves a dead Jesus, he rebukes the living one. Because you see, he just doesn't understand. And I think we often do that. Uh, we pour out our complaints concerning the weakness or the, the impotence of God. And we, and we cry out to the omnipotent God and we rebuke the omnipotent God for the way that things are going. Just as blind. Well, Jesus uh, could have leveled them. Uh, but he doesn't. He, just, he says, what things? What things? Oh, he loves them well. And, and they respond, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty in word and deed. You should have seen his miracles. You should have heard his sermons. No one ever spoke like this man. And they tell him this story. Uh, verse 20 and following, uh, the, the, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. The, the, the agony of that, it wasn't the Romans who killed him, it was our own religious leaders, the people who said they, that they know God and they're leading us in the things of God. They killed the prophet. And yet we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. When they talk about redeeming Israel, they're talking about Jesus coming to the throne and Jesus removing Roman oppression and Jesus making Israel great again and, and inaugurating the eternal kingdom of heaven and earth. We had hoped that he was the one, and that hope clearly was misplaced. Uh, Jesus cannot be the one. He's dead. He's dead. It didn't work. The whole thing just collapsed. It's, it's astonishing, and yet that's exactly what happened. He's been dead three days already, and there were some women, they, they went to the tomb, and they, they, they found the tomb was empty. They even said that they had a vision of angels, but, you know, women can sort of get wrapped up. That's why, and again, this is first century, right, Palestine? That's why we don't allow women to be witnesses in a court of law. 
They just get caught up in things. And I mean, some of the disciples ran and they, and they did find that the tomb was empty, the stone was rolled away, and all that, but they didn't, they didn't find him. Him they did not see. And that's the theme of the, the story. Him they did not see. <laughs> and again, the irony is so rich. Uh, they're telling Jesus about the failure of the disciples and the women to see Jesus, and they're standing right in front of him, and they don't see him. They don't see him. Why not? Well, here's where the story gets really fascinating, uh, because we're told that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 16. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. By whom? Well, I, I believe by God himself. Jesus is the one keeping them momentarily in the dark. He'll open their eyes later, but right now he keeps them in the dark about his identity. And then he gently rebukes them. Verse 25, he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, if, if you're just standing there watching this thing unfold, you might think to yourself, well, that's not very kind. I mean, these, these people are desperate with grief and sadness. They loved Jesus. They really had hoped in him. I mean, they really believed that he was the one. And, and then he, he was crucified, the most shameful, condemned, cursed death. And they're trying to make sense of it. And Jesus, you see, wouldn't the loving thing be to, to comfort them and say, no, no, you're missing. it's me. Don't you see? It's me. I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm raised. I'm, I'm, I was raised from the dead. I'm alive. You don't need to be sad. That's, I think, what I would do. But it's not, not what Jesus does. Instead, what he does is he admonishes them for not believing the things in Scripture. Now, why would, you, why would he do that? Is this a time to be talking about theological fine points? Yes. Because if they don't get this, they'll never see Jesus. If you'd asked any of their friends, why are Cleopas and Mary so sad? Well, they would have told you why. They're they're despairing because of the circumstances of their life. They're despairing because Jesus has died. And, and Jesus is saying, no, that would be a, a spiritual misdiagnosis of the disease. They are despairing because they don't believe all that the prophets have spoken. They believe some that the prophets have spoken. They like the parts about the king and about the kingdom and the son of man um, making Israel the a great nation. They, they like those parts, but they don't believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so you see, it's not the circumstances that have made them sad. It's the unbelief that's made them sad. You see, faith in all that the prophets had spoken would have been given them the ability to interpret the circumstances. And they would have been able to see as Jesus was on the cross, uh, even through tears, but he must suffer. This is what he came to do. They would have known that if they knew all that the prophets had said. And they would know that he must rise again from the dead. Isn't that what the angels said to the women when the women come to the, to the, the tomb? And they say, what, what are you doing here? 
Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they, and they might have said, well, because that's where we saw Joseph of Arimathea put him. And the angel said, well, don't you remember what he told you? Don't you remember the word that he, he promised that on the third day he, he would rise again? Don't you believe Jesus? See, the, the problem is unbelief. It's unbelief that keeps us from seeing in a way that is life-transforming. Unbelief is like a cataract of the soul. You know that cataract uh, is the primary cause of blindness in the world. It's just this thing that grows, and then you, it's cloudy and cloudier and cloudier, and then finally you can't see it all. That's what unbelief is. And that's what these people are suffering from. It's not lack of evidence. The evidence is all over the place. There's more evidence for the, for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for Julius Caesar. And yet, uh, it's unbelief, you see. It's an unwillingness to believe what Scripture actually says that robs people of their hope and their joy and their peace. And so today, if you're standing still in the road looking sad, is it possible that it's because of unbelief? You say you're a Christian, and yet the things that you say you believe really have not penetrated the circumstances that you find yourself in. You're living by what you see, by what you reason, by what you experience. Is it possible that unbelief has clouded your view of Jesus? Well, you see, there's a cure, wonderfully, for such a disease, and, and it's faith. Faith is, you see, what brings hope and joy and peace into people's lives. Paul writes, uh, Romans 15, 13, May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. In the acts of believing, God fills you with joy and peace. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes, Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from reading Understanding, believing what God says. Faith isn't a leap into the dark, a leap into the unknown, hoping for the best. Faith is just taking a stand on what God has actually said. And then feel free to weigh the evidence. Is it true? Did the prophets' prophecies come true? Is there any evidence of untruth in Scripture? Any evidence of untruth in Jesus? Any part of it, historical or otherwise? Faith is just, you see, taking a stand. We, we tend, you see, to trust the wrong things, don't we? We trust our experience, what we can see. Well, so many people saw and heard Jesus, and yet they never believed in him. Their sight and their experiences misled him, misled them. And it was not until, you see... These disciples understand Jesus from the scriptures that they actually meet the real Jesus. Do you realize that if Jesus had said, it's me, and if they had recognized Jesus physically at that moment, they still wouldn't see Jesus. What they would see, you see, is their false expectation of Jesus. They would see the Jesus who... Was, had come to be king of Israel, and then there was this awful tragedy that happened, this, this glitch in the system where Jesus, I have no idea how this happened. He allowed himself to be 
caught, captured, and crucified. But now miraculously, he's overcome that, and we're back on. They still wouldn't have seen Jesus. They would have no sense of the, of the point of the cross, and the cross is the point. <laughs> the cross is exactly the point. And so you see, that's why Jesus points them to Scripture. That's why he points us to Scripture. There's all sorts of people looking for Jesus, but they're looking for the wrong one, and so they, they can't see him. They're looking for, for Jesus, the life coach, who is going to help, and, uh, help me fulfill my potential. Uh, Jesus, the, the therapist, who's going to come and heal my, my inner woundedness. Uh, Jesus, the moral example, who's going to help me get my act straightened up. That's not Jesus. It's not, it's not this Jesus. And so Jesus, you see, wants us to see the true Jesus, the crucified Jesus, and the one who was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death and hell. And so, and so Jesus does not reveal himself to them physically so that they can really understand who he is according to Scripture. And he's insisted on this with all of his disciples. If you look uh, forward in uh, chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, this is now Jesus meets with all the rest of the disciples later on that evening. And he says to them, these are uh, my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I think that's just amazing. Jesus teaches us that the path to knowing Jesus is the path of biblical faith. It's the path of believing all the scriptures tell us concerning him. Now, why is that encouraging? It's encouraging because we have a Bible. It, the exact thing that Jesus pointed his disciples to, if you want to see me, if you want to know me, if you want to understand me, open your Bible. We have the, ex, we have the same Bible. Well, now we have the New Testament added to it, so we have even more revelation. We have everything that we need. So what's the cure? The cure is going to it. And that's what Jesus does. He takes them on this, on this tour of Scripture and specifically highlights two things. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You see, it's the suffering of Jesus that was confounding them. That's what they couldn't make sense of. And in, and in 40 days, he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And that's going to be a struggle for their faith as well. But not, you see, if, not if they have their Bible. And so Jesus goes and he shows them that the Christ had to suffer. The cross wasn't an accident. He needed to go to the cross. Why? That is certainly the question that Cleopas and Mary, if that were their names, that, that's what they were asking themselves. Why? 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 Why did God allow it? Why did the chief priest do it? Why did Jesus put up with it? Why did he die? And Jesus says, well, let's look at our Bibles. And he goes to Genesis 1 where God made everything good. And then Genesis 2 where Adam and Eve, uh, though they were righteous and, and, and good and had all these blessings, they made themselves allies with the devil and they fell into sin and brought the whole world into sin. And God responds with a promise in Genesis 3.15 that out of the seed of the woman there would come one who would crush the serpent's head. But in that process he would be bruised. He's going to suffer. 
And then he might go on and, and show how a God bringing Israel out of Egypt. And you have the Passover lamb where, where Israel is freed, but there's a price that's, that's required. And there's a Passover lamb that must be put to death. And the blood has to be applied to the doorposts of the, of the homes because the angel of death is going to pass over. And if the blood isn't there, if that atoning, covering blood is not there, then the angel of death will kill the firstborn. Maybe he told them the story and reminded them the story of Abraham and Isaac. Remember Abraham bringing Isaac up to the mountain because God had said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And God, of course, wonderfully averted that and provided a substitute. But Jesus says, I'm Isaac. And there was no substitute. I'm the substitute. I was the son of gladness, and he was also the, 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 the lamb that was the ram that was given in, in the place of. And, and, and he may be quoted to them from Psalm 22, where David is writing this psalm prophetically, because David never experienced these things. And David begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they're thinking, we just heard, we just heard Jesus say that. Two days ago. They've pierced my hands and my feet, David wrote so many years ago. They divided up my garments among them and my clothing. They cast lots and they're thinking, well, that's what happened to Jesus. Do you, do you understand what a shock it would be? They know their Bibles. And Jesus quoting from Psalm 22, and they, they had never connected the dots. This was all about Jesus, the whole Old Testament. And not just about Jesus, the, the Messiah, the King, the Sufferer. The Lamb of God who was sent to take away the sin of the world. And maybe he took him to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And, and there we read that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. But the Bible says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can you imagine their astonishment? When they discover that the answer to that hounding question, why did Jesus die? And Jesus opens the scripture and they realize Jesus died for me. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died because my guilt, my rebellion against God. Uh, Jesus, Jesus really is the lamb sacrificed for my sake. It's not just this this theoretical or this theological question about, about God allowing his son to suffer suddenly just comes crashing through that God did this on purpose because he loved me. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Suddenly the cross isn't, and it's not just a tragedy that happened. Suddenly the cross is transformed into this incredibly glorious, amazing thing. The son, you see, must suffer. He must suffer because of my sin. He must suffer because of God's holiness. He must suffer because of divine promise. He must suffer because of mercy and love. And if he does not suffer, then I have no hope. I remember a story, I've shared this before, I just love this story of Deb, uh, it's a testimony of Christianity on Christianity Explored website of, of how she was completely strung out on heroin, 
and uh, it was Good Friday. She had almost no church background whatsoever, but, but she just had a sense that she, she wanted to go to church. And so there's one just down the street, All Souls Church, and um, she, she gets out of her drug-induced haze, and she makes her way to the church, and they're reading the story of the crucifixion, and they're talking about what that means, and, and it just suddenly dawns on her that, that Jesus, this man Jesus, was put to death for her sin, and she said, I just began to weep and weep. I was just crying, and people were looking at me, and I didn't care because it, it, it suddenly, I suddenly realized that, that Jesus died on a cross precisely because of of the way I am and who I am and what I've done. Have, have, you, have you met that Jesus? Not just the Jesus of, of the Sunday school story, the Jesus of, of a theological system. But, but have you met this Jesus, the one who went to a cross as the innocent, perfect son of God bearing your Sin and by that act, covering your sin, cleansing you, making you an heir of heaven and a child of God. Have you have you met that Jesus? The Jesus who must suffer and then enter into his glory where he is at work making all things new and he will return and, and come again for you. Do you know that Jesus? Have you seen that Jesus? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't he magnificent? Isn't he lovely in his person and, and in, his, in his kindness and his grace? Do you see him? That's the critical question. That's what Luke is asking if Theophilus, Theophilus, do you see him? And then Luke shows us here what an experience of faith looks like. And so we read about this meal. Uh, it, it, the day is, is, is uh, coming to a close. Uh, abide with me, fast falls the eventide. That's, that's where that song comes from, this text. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. They don't know who he is yet. They just, they're, they're amazed at, at his teaching. And, and, and so they invite him in for a meal. And at the meal, Jesus takes over. When he's at the table with them, he became the host. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open. There's a Discussion among theologians is, is this the Lord's Supper? Is this the sacramental meal? Some say yes, some say no. I, I think it has all the sound of the Last Supper. The, he took and he blessed and he broke and he gave. That's exactly what we read in a few chapters ago when Jesus inaugurated the first Lord's Supper. And Jesus said to him, this is my body which is broken for you. You can hear that echoing in a sense in the room. Do this in remembrance of me. And that remembrance isn't just a memory. That remembrance is something tangible and real that is linked to Christ by Christ's own words. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. You see, Jesus then opened their eyes. Why then? Why, why now? Because now they know who he is. They've been explained and shown in scriptures. They know who he is. He's the Lamb of God. They can see him with the eyes of faith and through the lens of scripture as a, as a dying Savior and a reigning Lord. A Christ who was condemned in their place and now resurrected for their, for their victory. And, and, and now that they can see him, he vanishes from their sight. You see, they don't need his physical presence. They have the word. They have the sacrament. 
And they go back, and that's what they tell the disciples. They tell the disciples, verse 35, that Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. But even as they're making their way back, you see, they're not standing still in the road to Emmaus anymore, standing still and looking sad, facing a a hopeless future. That's all gone. Now Now they're running full of hope and joy on the way back to Jerusalem to share the good news. And as they're going, they realize, you know, we... Something was happening when the scriptures, did not our hearts burn while he opened the scriptures? Didn't didn't we sense the truth of it? Didn't we see the glory of it? You see, what is that? That is the Holy Spirit illuminating the word. It's what happens when the spirit of God breaks in. And and Paul says that that unless that happens, we'll never understand it. So we need the spirit. The unspiritual man cannot understand the things of God. They, but the spiritual man, the man who, the spirit comes and opens eyes and suddenly these texts jump to life and we realize it's Jesus. And truths that you maybe have known all of your life, but they were just dead facts, ideas. Suddenly they just spring to life and they're dynamic and they move and they mean <coughs> They mean more than they've ever meant. They change you because suddenly you find yourself face to face with Jesus. Do you know what that feels like to have your heart burn when scripture is opened and Jesus is presented and the Holy Spirit takes that truth and speaks to your heart and calls you, you, you to faith to know and love this Jesus? Peter says that's what happens. He writes to to his his scattered flock in 1 Peter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That is the experience of Christian faith. Is that what you feel? I have to confess, it's, it's, it's not how I often feel. I live by what I see and what I experience, and I get downcast, and I look at the news, and it makes me sick, and, and then I look at my own life, and I get sad. How come I'm not so much farther along, and why do I still stumble and do stupid things, and, and why is this so hard? And Jesus comes and says, oh, you foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is why the writer of Hebrews says, Let's, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because as you fix your eyes on Jesus, you see, then, then you love him. And you find a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Friend, I, I don't know where you are on the road. I, I, I do know this, that this is what God has given to you, you and to me in order to see Jesus. And if, you, and if you're ignoring your Bible, you're ignoring, you're ignoring to see Jesus. If a sermon is just an, it's something that we do in church, you, you don't understand what's happening. Jesus is speaking to you in his word. He's saying, do you believe it? He's given us everything that we need. You don't need to go sit in a room with a piece of paper and, and listen to a voice of God. You have, you have the voice of God. It's right here. God has revealed himself. But you need to believe it. 
You see, just believing the Bible in some sense isn't even enough. You, you, need, to, you need to believe the Jesus of the Bible. This is, not, this is not an end in and of itself. Jesus opened the scriptures and explained all the things concerning him. That's the point. You can, you can, you can read your Bible and even in a sense believe your Bible and not see Jesus uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the leaders. Remember, he says, you studied the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, and yet these are the scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me to have life. Friend, what about you? What about you? You see, the critical issue isn't do you know your Bible? The critical issue is do you know the Jesus of the Bible? And do you know him in a way that you believe in him, that you believe that he died for your sin? That he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Do you believe that this Jesus was raised from the dead? You believe it in your heart. And that he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's It's not a slick little formula. It's a faith. Do you have that faith? I pray you do. And, and, and for those who, who maybe don't today, I just pray you'll, you'll sense, but I want to, but I want to. Let me just ask you, if you've never really come to Christ in this way, I'd, I'd just like to ask you as you live your life, the most important what-if question. What if Jesus Christ was actually the satisfaction of every longing of your heart, the fulfilling of every dream, the culmination of every hope, the fountain of all love, the river of all joy, and the ocean of all peace? What if he really was all that? Wouldn't you want to know him? Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. And if you're a Christian and you've forgotten these beautiful things about Jesus, I just encourage you to go back and open your Bible and spend time in prayer. and Ask the Lord Jesus to reveal himself to you again so that your faith is renewed and, and you move from being this sad person with a slow heart to a, a running person with a message because Jesus Christ is alive. And you've seen him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you speak to us in your word, in sacrament. You reveal yourself as a loving savior of sinners. You reveal yourself as as the lamb of God who died so that we could be forgiven for all the ways that we've sinned against you and that we could be made alive and children of God and heirs of heaven and none of it, Lord, by anything we've done but because of what you've done. Father, you know every person here. You know our names. You know our acts, our our intentions. You know, Lord, all the ways that we've rebelled, all the, all the, the dark that's caused by unbelief. Jesus, I I pray that you would lead your people into light and lead those, Lord, who don't know you yet into the wonderful light of Jesus. This is your will. This is your desire. It's why you came. It's why you've gathered us together to show us Christ. I pray that we would see the glory and the beauty and the grace and the power and the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.